What's the use? Have you ever thought that? But probably not with a smile on your face. What is the use? You work, you toil, you sweat. You give your all. You make sacrifices. Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you wonder, what difference does it make? What's the use? And we can tend to feel like throwing in the towel, tapping out, <laughs> checking out. We get discouraged. We get weary with this life. I think that in reading the scripture, we hear an accounting of a life's view. You've heard of a worldview, a life's view from the wisest man who ever lived. His name was Solomon. He was also the richest man probably who ever lived. And he gives a summary in the book of Ecclesiastes that describes his view of life. And it reads like this. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity or emptiness or nothing. <laughs> And it was striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes from the wisest man that ever lived, it, it can be pretty discouraging. Because here is the man who was noted, who accumulated for himself more horses, more wives, and more gold. These are the three things that God warned him about. But these are the three things that fed his lust, his pride. And I think that you, you look at how he continued to go down in his life, even though he was the wisest man in the world. Do you remember who his father was? His father's name was David. And what we remember about David, David was far from being perfect. <laughs> but he was a man after God's own heart. And even when he failed and he faltered along the way, he always returned back to that relationship. And I think of a man like Solomon, who's been given this wisdom that he asked for, and God blessed him in so many ways, as expressing our feeling, our emotion, when we think, you know what, what's the use? What's the use? I particularly chose this text we're going to look at in a moment, because when I think of this whole concept, I think of mothers. 
Because mothers who work every day, every hour, 24-7, I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom or you work outside the home or you're a single mom, there is no break. We were, we'll, maybe once in a while, we were, we were watching off our porch, you know, the, the bike trail, and there's this guy riding, and he's pulling a baby behind, you don't have those little things, and he's got his other two kids riding their bikes. And I just start laughing. She's, and Diane says, what are you laughing at? I said, I said, mom's getting a break for a little bit. <laughs> we'll see how long this dad can do that. But I do think that in particular for mothers, that this feeling becomes a reality. Is it worth it? What difference does it make? Particularly when you pour into people, a husband and kids, and making a home, and providing in all the ways that you do, and then people still make bad choices. People still do stupid things. <laughs> Sometimes all the things that you have worked for just seem like in vain, and you feel like giving up. I think that pretty much every one of us will come, either you have come or will come to that place in life where you ask that question, what's the use? And so the text that I'd like to share with you this morning for Mother's Day and for all of the rest of us to benefit from this hearing as we respond, <clears throat> excuse me, to Solomon's frustration is out of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. This is a great, great verse. And it's surrounded by great verses in chapter 6 of Galatians. Paul is writing, as he did so often, a letter to encourage believers. The reason I bring this message today is to encourage you as a believer, particularly our moms, but for all of us. And as we take a, a look at just this very simple verse, I want to ask a few questions and bring in the application uh, for us today. The first question is, how do we grow weary? How do we grow weary? Because they use the word tired, exhausted, worn out, wanting to give up. It's just kind of like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. How do we grow weary? I quote the great statesman Clint Eastwood. Some of those quotes, I know they don't come out of the Bible, but sometimes they're really good. He said in one of his movies, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> I smile when I think about that. A man's got to know his limitations. Well, what are our limitations? As we've talked many times that, that God has known you from eternity. He has known you. He has loved you. He has chosen you. And he created you in his image. 
into personhood. David talks about that even while being in the womb. He is a person that is being intricately fashioned and woven together. And this is done with purpose. This isn't just kind of a random thing to do. This is with purpose. And so as he fashions you into personhood, what does that look like? Well, obviously we, we have a body. Not quite as obvious, we have minds. <laughs> but we are physical people. We are ment mental people. We have cognitive abilities. We are emotional people. And we are spiritual people. And you're going to see that all through the scriptures, there are challenges in, in, in advice given to people that relate to these various areas. I think we all kind of tend to focus on some more than others, but all of these make up who you are. You have a body, you have a mind where you process thought, you have emotions, you have feelings, <laughs> and you have a spiritual life. You have a soul that, that can relate to God and spiritually relate to other people. And so, when everything comes our way, it will tend to exhaust you at all of those levels. I have limitations in all four of those areas. Now, I would say that for me, I know when I'm physically tired, and mentally I know when I can't remember stuff. You know, we, we, we say it's age, you know, I just can't remember. You know, but you know, you're just not functioning real well. We all know what that's like. But I would say emotionally, oh, that's, I'm not, I don't have any struggles emotionally. Well, denial is the first sign <laughs> you're in trouble. And I think for a lot of guys, you know, we think, well, you know what, I've got everything together. But your feelings, even though they're a bit more intangible, less concrete, uh, your body, your mind, it's, you can... You can describe it exactly. Emotions and feelings are kind of like all over the place. And then spiritually, we'd say, oh, I'm doing fine that way too. But what, what I've seen is that when, when we get worn down, when we get worn out, when we're overly tired, it's not like it's just tired in an isolated part. Like, well, I'm just tired physically. No, it affects Everything, because you're woven together in personhood with all of these. I noticed that Dad took the young one out today. That's good. That's a good job there, Troy. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. <laughs> Couldn't resist that one. Sorry. <laughs> so all that comes our way, the pace of life, the pressures, our expectations that we have on ourselves, the expectations that others put on us, difficulties, tragedies, losses, sicknesses, disease, death, strained marriages and other relationships all tend to suck the life out of you on all, all four of these levels. And this does affect you. You become worn down and what you need is rest and renewal. 
I love Psalm 23. There's so many parts of Psalm 23 that are special to me, but the little phrase that says, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. So, my dad used to say to me, you know, maybe the most spiritual thing you could do right now is take a nap. <laughs> and that's true. Your body needs rest. Your mind needs rest. Your emotions need space. Your spiritual life needs retreat and restoration and refilling and refueling. But we're so wired to be doing, 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 and all of culture is pressuring us to do more. Keep going, doing more, doing more, and pretty soon we get discouraged. We get really discouraged. We get weary in all of these ways. And the funny thing is, we're tired often of doing good things. How can you get worn out and tired and weary and discouraged when what you're doing is good? Well, this is what he's talking about. You can justify your pace because as well it's all for good and I'm helping other people. But let's look at the, the previous verses in this. If you have your Bible, you can see this. But he talks about doing good in, in three ways. In verse 2, he says, bear the load of others. And then he says in verse 5, bear your own load, which seems like a contradiction. But it's really not. There are two different, two different words that are used in the Greek language that are often just same in English. But basically, when you see someone, and, and the picture would be a sinking ship, or a, a they got hit with something that is more than a person can bear, then go help them. Look around. Sometimes we get so busy and so consumed with everything we have to do, we, we can't even be aware of what's happening around us. And this is what I love about the life of Christ. And I talked about this book, Gentle and Lowly, so pick up a copy when you go back. Jesus, when he walked through a crowd, noticed everyone. He knew what was going on. Now, I know he's God. I know he's supernatural. <laughs> but he, it's not just situation awareness. He had people awareness. And you notice how it'll say he looked at someone, and he said, what do you want? Or what do you need? So this is good work, helping people. Helping people that are being crushed with something. I just was talking to our son, Reed, and um, these pastors in Northern California, and he was telling me the story of something that happened in his church um, to one of his families, and, and, I, and Diane and I heard this story, and we thought, I'm not going to spend time sharing it, but it was probably the worst thing I've ever heard happening to a family in all my years of doing ministry. And my son, who's a pastor of one of the, the members of this family, he said, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it's just like, you're just overwhelmed. But here, 
no doubt is a person who needs a family to come around and say, hey, we're here to help you through what is more than one person can bear. But when you do that, it can start draining you as well. So you still have got to know your limitations, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So if I'm doing this good work, I'm helping all these overloaded people, I'm helping, 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 and then pretty soon I'm coming to the point where I'm discouraged. I've not been the steward that I need to be over my own life. In verse 5, he says, bear your own load. <laughs> so the load like an overloaded ship that's sinking in the sea as compared to a load is your backpack. You pick it up, every soldier carries his own backpack. So this speaks more to your responsibility. So your every day you get up, <laughs> you got work to do. Um, there, there is responsibility. And it's good work. But sometimes, you know, you can, you can, you ever think this, you worked all day and, and what have you got to show for it? Um, so I'd envy sometimes someone who's putting up a building or, or uh, building a structure of some sort. Said, At least when you get done. <laughs> but when you work with people, uh, sometimes you feel like I'm, I'm further behind today than I was yesterday. And so much of what we do in the good work um, is with people. And in verse 10, there's another challenge about this good work where he says, take every opportunity, take every opportunity to do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, your family. Believing family. Let us take every opportunity. So if I'm taking every opportunity, I'm bearing the loads of others, I'm fulfilling all the responsibilities that I feel I need to do, and I'm not careful, I can become exhausted, weary, worn out, and discouraged. And when that happens, we lose our joy, And God wants us to live with joy as believers. But we can lose our joy. We can make bad decisions. <laughs> in a moment of discouragement, I give up, I quit, I throw in the towel. A lot of things can happen. But the good work that he calls us to is, as I said, with people. It is with others. You know, I was thinking a little bit, coming up on Mother's Day, and um, my mom passed away on the 6th of May, and uh, so I remember that date. Diane always says, how do you remember all these dates? I just, I just do. I remember dates. And uh, so I was thinking about, out of the four parents we have together, uh, three of them are in heaven. And we've got one left, and I'm going to pick her up at the end of this month, <laughs> get her back. We can't wait to have um, Diane's mom back with us. But I think back to, to at least those four, to my dad. You know, when we kind of were cleaning up his stuff, getting, you know, sorting through his things and deciding who wants, uh, 
who wants and who doesn't want that. <laughs> um, just about everything he had, you kind of put in a box, you know. He's got letters and citations and all these other things. And no, one, no one's really asking, you know, how much money did he make? Or what awards did he get? The truth is my dad was, uh, you know, he went to the Naval Academy. He was a very successful Naval officer, commanding officer of a military base. Uh, he had, had an award once from the President of the United States commanded all of the Atlantic in um, naval security. So he had, a, he had a great career. But you know, when you, when you get to the end and he passed away, no one's talking about that, really. I mean, it's like, there are pieces of paper. Well, I got this letter here, I got this letter. But, but what people were talking about is the impact that he made on a relational level with people. Same with my mom. Um, she was a nurse, went to Johns Hopkins. You know what, truth is, no one cares about that. My father-in-law was, was an incredible doctor, surgeon, um, played for KU and um, their football team and their national championship basketball team. Um, but none of those things have any meaning but, but, but when he led people to faith in Christ in his doctor's office. You know, these are the things that you hear and say, that makes a difference. So the good that we do uh, is not measured uh, the same way. Now, Hal is in his 90s, and I doubt they're gonna, people are gonna ask Hal, how much money did you make over a lifetime? Um, how big was your house? Um, what jobs did you have? What awards you, no, no, no. We're thinking too, Thank you for investing in my grandson. Thank you. That's what I think. Impacted his life. Spiritually, physically, <laughs> mentally, emotionally. And I think this is, this is what we have to get to. And what you don't want to realize all of this when you're in your 90s. We need to realize this early on that, yes, it's important you have a good job, you want to make good money, have a nice house. Right? There's nothing wrong with that, but, but at the end, no one's going to care. No one's going to care about that stuff. What they will care about is that which lasts for eternity. So you remember when we were finishing up 1 Corinthians and we talked about the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Anything that matters for eternity. There's a lot of stuff we do every day that really doesn't matter for eternity, but there's a lot of stuff that we do. It's for eternity. So I think my challenge to us is this. It's easy to think that, well, doing bad work or evil work is what will make you discouraged and depressed. But he says here, good work. <laughs> Don't be weary in doing good. So it kind of blindsides you. And why is this true? Because we have something to look forward to. And that is what he speaks about in the next part of this verse, is we will reap. We will reap. And reaping, of course, speaking of harvest, it's what you labor for. 
And I think that the picture of farming and digging up the ground, all this work, you know, the plowing and the sowing the seed, the weeding, and then not much you can do about the weather. <laughs> but there's all of this work. Farming, and if you've lived on a farm or worked on a farm, is a lot of hard work. And what keeps you going is knowing that you will reap what you have sown. Now, it takes patience and forward thinking. Because if, if you look at the day, you know, I don't know if you've ever planted a garden. So you put the seed in the ground, cover it up, and water it, and then you, you wait. You're going to wait a long time <laughs> before you see that little sprout coming up. He says, in due season in due season. So this really exercises our faith in waiting. I find this that one of the most difficult things for me to do is to wait for anything. I also find it as one of the steady themes throughout all of Scripture. <laughs> wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I'm tired of waiting. I want to see the result. I want to see the fruit of this. And for moms, when you're raising your kids, when you're, you're, you're doing labor, working with people, you think, will that day ever come? And you have setbacks along the way that can tend to discourage you. Previously, in verses 7 and 8, right before we get to verse 9, it says, Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now that's an incredible statement. So every day we're sowing seed. Every day we're sowing. If I sow to the flesh, in other words, temporal things, meaningless things, or lustful, wicked things. That's what I'm going to reap. I put that in the ground. That's what's going to come out. may look the same on planting day. We're all doing the same thing. But someday there will be the reaping of that. But when I sow to the Spirit, in other words, spiritual things, things that God cares about, things that are eternal matters, and that wouldn't mean that your job is not spiritual. Everything for the Christian should be spiritual. There's no difference. I tell guys when they go into work, I said, your, your work is just as sacred as my work. I'm a pastor, but my, my work is not more sacred than your work. Your work is sacred. If you do it unto God, and you keep it in eternal perspectives. In other words, you're relating to people, you're doing the best you can, you're representing God in the work you do, and God is placing you with people and in situations that I'll never, I'll never be able to be there. So all work that we do, that God's called us to, is sacred. I don't know if you've seen the movie Secondhand Lions. Um, it's, it's really a funny movie, but um, we were watching it again the other night, 
And these two old uncles, they've got, a, they've got this, their young nephew has come to live with them. And these two old codgers, um, he's got like 11 or 12 years old, they're going to go out and they're going to plant something. And so a salesman comes by and sells them all this seed. And so they're, they're kind of looking through there and the kid is asking, well, what's, what's this? It's, they're just sprouting up, you know, like that tall. What's this? Well, that's corn. Well, what's this? And they look, and they, what they did is they put a little stick in the ground with the packet. He said, well, those are beets, or those are, those are green beans. And so why is it that they all look like the corn? Well, the truth is, the guy sold them different packages. All of them had corn in them. <laughs> and so they, they got swindled. They had a whole field of corn. It's kind of like zucchini. I always have too much zucchini. But you don't know until harvest. And that day is going to come. I really believe this, that when, when God writes something to us in, in this form, it's a promise to us. We will reap what we sow. Now that can be encouraging or discouraging, however you've lived. None of us live a perfect life, but when I, with intentionality, focus on sowing seeds of things that matter for eternity, sowing it in the way God would have me to sow it, he says, you will bear fruit to eternal life. In other words, an eternal life isn't just that you get to go to heaven. It's that all that comes with that, the joy and the peace and the relationship and the presence, his provision for all those things. As we've said before, it's about relationship with God, not just getting to heaven. But if I indulge my flesh and say, you know, it'd be very easy to do since the seed is in the ground, no one else has seen it. I'm working the same field, but all along I'm doing it for me, doing it for me. I'm selfish, self-indulgent, self-centered. I'm doing things that I know are not right, and God's not pleased with. Those plants will start to come up, and you will reap what you sow. That's, it's true. And you cannot sin against God or go against your creator and his design for your life in your self-will, your better way, and, and do well. And this is what he's challenging us to be aware of. We will reap eternal life, the blessing of God, his favor. You know, when I think of that, the, um, there's so many ways that you think his will taking place in this world. We talked about Jesus saying, not my will, but yours be done. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Not Matt's kingdom, not your kingdom. But I tell you what, every morning I get up, I want to be king. 
and you want to be king or queen. That's just our nature. We, we want to be in charge and in control and doing what we want to do. And we have to fight to acknowledge his lordship and his kingdom and the purpose for which we were created. It's the only path to be able to experience the joy that he wants for us. So we reap the blessing of God. There's a little verse at the end of James chapter 5, and it says, You have heard of the patience of Job, <laughs> and you have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and full of tender mercy. I love that verse. You have heard of the patience of Job, because if you read through Job, you think, how could anything be worse? I mean, it's like this whole story is going on, and then you find at the very end, <laughs> God just pours out a blessing on him that's just is double of everything. And that's the end of the Lord. The Lord, the end of the Lord is always working toward good. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things are working together for good. There may not be good in their present situation, but he is, he is taking this and working all of these things for good to those who love God. And, we, and that's, a, that's a promise. That's a promise that he gives to us. We can bank on that. We can, God cannot lie. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. Isn't that something? Every word of God proves true. And when we're discouraged, ready to throw in the towel, wondering if it's worth it, we need to go back to those true words. So I'll end with a final question. Will we give up? <laughs> uh, will we give up? The challenge is real. Um, as I said, to make you want to quit, <clears throat> give up, give in, cause you to make a bad decision, or just lose all your joy. I've seen this happen in my own life. <clears throat> I think I believe in the promises and the sovereignty of God enough to accept that every bad thing that happens to me, God is working for good. I do believe that. I do believe that. Um, but it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> In the present, it doesn't make me happy. And I, and I have to fight to joy in it. Does that make sense? I accept it. I know it's true. I know God's going to work good, but right now I'm, I'm still miserable. And I think we have to fight for the joy of knowing what to look forward to and how, and how we will finish with joy. Now, most of you know that I love horses. <laughs> I have all my life. <clears throat> we had them when I was growing up. Had them after we got married. Still trying to get a few more, and Diane's kind of thinking, we don't need that right now. <laughs> 
So anything related to horses, I enjoy training horses, riding horses, just being around them. And I know it sounds weird that even the smell of a barnyard just, it's like guys that smell diesel or avgas or, you know, it's like, what is wrong with you? You smell, that's manure. I said, you like that smell? I said, I love the smell of a barn. But. So yesterday's a Kentucky Derby. I'm sure everyone watched that. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't miss it unless I've, I don't have a, available to watch it. But uh, So a few days before, I'm looking at all the entries. So you have the horse, you have the owner, the trainer, the jockey, and then you have what everybody is saying about that particular horse. So these are three-year-olds, and they're, they're, they're young horses. They haven't been running a long time. Some of them have run maybe less than 10 races, maybe seven races or so. And so you're, you're, I'm not, I don't bet. Um, just so you know that, I don't bet. You can also know that I wish I had bet yesterday <laughs> on uh, Rich Strike. But um, I, didn't, I didn't place a bet, don't bet. But it's just interesting to me to, to see what, it's like any other sport, you know. Who, who do they think is going to win? Well, everybody thinks they're going to win. But then the odds makers will you know, say, well, two chances and five or whatever else. So the top couple horses were like that, one, one out of five, two out of five, and there were two particular ones that were um, picked to most likely win. So this is Saturday, the race is Saturday evening. On Friday, a horse drops out and another horse gets in. They're the next one in. So they're the last one in. And this is Rich Strike, who at the time was entered into the competition with 20 horses, was 99 to one. So it's like, good luck, right? <laughs> 99 to one, later went 80 to one. So I didn't really even pay attention to that. I'm usually looking at the top few horses, reading through all, but the, of course everybody's saying, well, if it just run, they run the perfect race and there's so much that happens and it, it's only two minutes long. It's like all this for two minutes. It's a two-minute long race. And so they get them all into the chutes to start the race, and you're watching. And there, it, it, what's interesting is um, at the beginning of the race, and really most of the race, Summer is Tomorrow, name of another horse, 42 to 1 odds, was in front. And I'm thinking, you're watching this race, and... This horse is gonna win. All it has to do is just kinda of hold on this last little stretch. Well, they come around that last bend, and just so you know, summer is tomorrow, finished in 20th place. <laughs> so, but at the time, it's looking good. It's looking good. But you know what? Nothing matters but the finish. Nothing matters but the finish. And this, this one horse, um, Rich Strike uh, came out, came out of nowhere. The middle, it was at the back, came to the middle, and just, just sprinted past the two top horses and won. And um, you think you never would have. Most people wouldn't. I'm, I'm sure the owners probably put money on it. <laughs> you don't think? Oh, we, oh, we knew it all all along. But um, you think it just reminds us. All of us here are still in this race. And 
It's how we're, how we're going to finish. It's how we're going to finish. You want to finish strong. And here's, here's the thing. You can finish strong. It isn't like horse racing. This is different. You can finish strong. There are two kinds of situations in life. There are things that you can control and things you can't control. God does not hold you responsible for things you cannot control. But what you can control, he's calling you to respond to him. So many on that last stretch, because it is kind of fun and, and probably agonizing um, for a summer as tomorrow as they watch their horse go from first place to last place in a very short span. But if any of you have ever run track before, you know what it's like on the, ver the last bend and you've given it your all and there is nothing left. There's nothing left. And that's how often we finish um, giving up, giving in, throwing in the towel. So this is the charge, again, that Paul gives. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So my challenge to you as we conclude this morning, the next time you get tired, worn out, weary, discouraged, depressed, the next time you want to quit, throw in the towel, tap out, or check out, do remember this, this verse, this promise, this exhortation, this encouragement. It's like your AAA card. You pull it out of your pocket. Anybody have, you have AAA? Anybody here have AAA? Actually, it's really good because if you ever get pulled over in Nebraska or Wyoming, it's your get out of jail free card. You still have to pay the fine, but you can show them that. How I would know that, I have no idea. <laughs> so here are three A's to remember. You read this verse, three A's. Number one, acknowledge what is true. Acknowledge what is true. You're going to have a lot of feelings and emotions. They're not true. It's going to feel true. And you know, when people feel a certain way, I do value that. I want to value that. But sometimes the way you feel is, is not what is true. You're disoriented. You're tired. You're worn out. You're not thinking clearly. You cannot trust your feelings. Sometimes they're right. <laughs> like people talk about your gut. It's not always going to be right. Facts. Acknowledge what is true, the facts. Number one, the word of God. Listen to what Job said. He said, behold, I go forward. This, this to me is one of the great, I don't know if you remember reading this in Job, because a lot of it's kind of tough. He says, I go forward, he's not there. He's talking about God. He said, I go forward, he's not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. There are times when you can't see him. 
You don't feel him. You feel like, God, where are you? And it's legitimately how you feel. But what is true? He's there. What do you know is true? He's there. He knows you. He loves you. He has a plan. He is working for your good. And he's doing 10,000 other good things that you don't even see. Now we know that, don't we? How do we know that? Because he tells us. And he's also proven it to be true over and over and over and over again through all human history. Those are the facts. So I separate my feelings from facts and um, remember that. And I kind of add to, if you've got people advising you out here, who are the ones that are consistently following facts themselves. <laughs> because you can always find someone to agree with what you want to do. I think we know that to be true. So acknowledge what is true. Number two, act on what is true. If you know what's true, then you obey the truth. This is a matter of the will. This is not something that is out of your control. You can obey God. And you can disobey God. If you know this is true, act on it. So I think that's why when we get God's word before us, what do I know is true? I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it today. I'm struggling today. But what do I know is true? I'm going to act on it. John says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So it's not just to know what is true. It is to be able to act on what is true. And as I said, you, you can control your acts of obedience. You cannot control a lot of things. But you can, I believe, create space, time, re time for restoration, time to be renewed. If you're, you're running on fumes, then there are some probably some decisions that need to be made. And finally, is anticipate. So acknowledge what is true, act on what is true, and anticipate what is true. <laughs> I like anticipation because you're looking forward. Now if you drive down the street looking in the rearview mirror, glance in the rearview mirror, you don't keep looking in the rearview mirror. What's going to happen? You look back long enough to give God thanks for what he's done for you, okay? You look back long enough. If you have sinned, repent, confess, get it right. Don't dwell on it. Christians should not live with regret. Are you with me on that? Probably most of us struggle with regret. We should not struggle with regret because when we do sin... We ask God's forgiveness, he washes it whiter than snow. It's gone. He said it's separated from as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. Okay, so I don't look back in the mirror on regret. I look back long enough to say, thank you, God, for your goodness for me. But I'm looking forward. And I anticipate what is true. 
Paul said to the Corinthian church, he said, so we do not lose heart. This is chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. That's what's to come. This is the anticipation. Beyond all comparison, beyond what you can imagine. So the anticipation is beyond what you can imagine. And I put, tell you what, that puts a smile on your face. Not looking back with regret. Looking forward and anticipating what is beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Everything we see around us is transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, when we feel, what's the use? When we give up, we get discouraged, we lose our joy. You come back to this, pull out that, those three A's, and remember this verse. And by God's grace, and through our faith in him, we never give up. Better than that, we don't lose our joy. We don't lose our joy. Father, thank you for your word. It's what we need. Every mother, every father, every son or daughter, every believer needs this. Lord, I pray that we would embrace the truth you've given us today with thanksgiving. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.